Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here with another in this uh, strange little series of talking to people who do not live in Los Angeles, taking full advantage of Zoom technology. And uh, today, this is a very exciting day for me. Listeners know that I'm a big fan of uh, Red Letter Media, their uh, various videos and such. And today we have uh, the, in my opinion, the person, the, the soul of it, you know, the heart and soul of Red Letter Media if not the brain behind it, in my opinion. Oh, there we go. Butter me up. Butter <laughs> me up. Make it happen. It's, uh, it's Jack Packard. Jack, how you doing? Just, just fine. I am, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not the soul or the mind of Red Letter <laughs> Media. I, I am, I'm the everyman. I am there to, to act as an observer as all the far more talented members of Red Letter Media act a little crazy. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because now I'm put in mind of The Watcher from uh, Marvel Comics and you kind of have that, that uh, aesthetic going. So, yeah. uh, so that makes sense. But um, I was curious, uh, you know, I've been doing the podcast for a while and we have a very low level of success, but we've been around long enough to, uh, to acquire an audience, but it's nowhere near what Red Letter Media is. And so I was just curious when you're when you're filling a, a specific role uh, in a larger organization, whatever it is, do you find yourself, and especially the audience has opinions on this kind of thing, do you feel like people are like, oh, I know what Jack does. Jack does this. Like this person's the pretentious guy. This person's the the whatever it is. Like, uh, do do you find that like viewers sort of put you in a in a very specific box and say this is what Jack does? I think so. You know, like. Also, I just think that's anyone with their group of friends, you know, usually every group of friends has, you know, the person who does this and the person who does that. And we all fill that role. And, you know, quite luckily with myself, with uh, Rich and Jay and Mike and Josh, uh, we have just known each other for that long where these are just our roles in the friendship as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, you know, I think our audience knows, that if something like if a super gross horror thing is about to happen, you go to me, you go to Jay. Sure. Cause that's our, bre- yeah, that's our, the thing we like. And, and more importantly, if Jay or Mike is editing an episode, they know to go to me or Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh meanwhile, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use the quarantine to get into things that I have been meaning to for a long time and never have. So for example, I just started watching star Trek, the original mm. series for the first time. And, okay. uh, and I, uh, I've, been, uh, I've been enjoying it. But at the same time, I look at the level that some people are at uh, as far as their enjoyment and their encyclopedic knowledge. And I certainly don't judge them, but I also am just like, I'm not, I'm not there. And I don't think I ever could be. <laughs> uh, are you a Star Trek person? I know that, I know that like Mike and, and, and Rich uh, are Star Trek people, but uh, are you one? Um, yeah, Mike and Rich are hardcore Star Trek. I, okay. uh, I, there are a few good episodes, as far as I'm concerned, of the original series, but I am a Next Gener. Okay. Uh, that's when I started watching. I love Star Trek The Next Generation. I've seen every episode. I don't have uh, a, a mind like Mike and Rich have, though, where, you know, you can start talking about an episode, they'll know the episode name, who the characters were in that, the actors' yeah. names, who produced it, who directed They have a mind that locks onto those. And I just say, oh, no, no, this is the one with the guy with the ears. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I love Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation. 
Um, I'm not as obsessive about it as they are, you know, yeah. like Picard was a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. I remember recently Mike asked me if I had been watching Picard cause he knows I'm a general Star Trek fan. And I said, no, why would I watch Picard? <laughs> and he just laughed cause he yeah. knows, but yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I, I, I sci-fi in general, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask, and this is something that obviously to your viewers is, is pretty uh, obvious, but uh you guys tend to focus in on genre movies. Like there aren't a lot of, you know, there's no Manchester by the sea, half in the bag uh, kind of thing. But I was curious, is there a specific type of movie that you tend to like the most? Uh, I, I'm a big guy. Uh, I won't say the most. That's, that's very <laughs> extreme. Sorry. <laughs> no, and I'm a, I'm a omnivore. I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. So I will consume anything. My, my big ones are action movies and uh, science fiction movies, which is kind of why comic book movies usually mesh really yeah. well because it's a little sci-fi, a little action. But I, I enjoy everything. I like a little bit of horror. I love creatures and goopy monsters. And, yeah. You know, well, I, I just like all sorts of stuff. I also am a big fan of documentaries. And you know, like, right. I, I just watched a little bit of any of everything. I have kids, so I have to watch a lot of children's movies. Yeah. And I try not to sigh too loudly. So. Do you, as a, as a father, this is something I'm always curious about. Because when you're a movie person and you, and, and parenthood is maybe a ways off. You have such big plans of like, oh, I can't wait to introduce my kids to this, that, or the other. And I remember I was teaching a, a summer class for Italian exchange students. That class, unsurprisingly, not happening this year. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so we watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. And these are, these are high school students. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Afterwards, we were talking about it and they mentioned that like, oh, yeah, you know, it was pretty good. But I thought, you know, a lot of them use the word boring, which blew my mind. I'm like, boring? What are you talking about? And then you look at it through a different set of eyes. And you're just like, you know what it does? After the, after the, the cave, it does take a while to get going. Right. Um, and so, you know, uh, talking to like my brother with, with uh, his, his son, he, said, he had such big plans of like, I can't wait for my son to watch this thing that I love so much only to be immediately undercut when they're like, yeah, it's like this stuff that was huge when we were younger mm-hmm. seems a lot slower now compared to like faster paced movies. Like, have you, have you experienced anything like that? Yeah. Some, some highs and some lows. My, we, I want to say we try cause my wife's a big Star Trek fan as well. And so like, we've, we've tried to get them to watch some of the Star Trek and they're not interested too, too boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've had a few misses. Uh, currently, we're actually watching um, the uh, the eighties, nineties Batman movies, and like we just got through Batman and Batman Returns, and they're just like Batman Returns is weird. And I, uh, what can you say besides yes, it's yeah. a really weird movie. But but you know, then we there's there's been big highs. We uh, like one of my all time favorite movies is Jurassic Park. Yeah, And so, you know, showing them Jurassic Park and seeing them get so into it was fabulous. And, you know, I'm obviously like I, more of my favorite movies are a little more adult. And so like we have to wait a little bit longer before we can start watching like slasher movies and sure. aliens. So yeah. <laughs> the Predator, that sort of stuff. That's, but, uh, yeah, Predator is a big misses. one. Predator is a big one for people our age. Mm-hmm. That one. And then like with when my nephew would come and like visit us, he's, you know, he's 
almost 19 now. So that's fine. But when he was younger, it's just like, he came to visit me and my wife and we're like, we're going to watch speed. Uh, and my, cause we were going to watch predator, but lo and behold, my brother had already showed it, uh, shown it to him. <laughs> and, um, and speed is a movie that, that granted it's mid nineties, but not, uh, I feel like it's not ta- outside of Keanu Reeves. I feel like it's not talked about very much when people talk about like the great action movies. I'm like, that's a, that's like a top tier action movie for me. That's maybe like a top 10 oh, yeah. personally. Speed, bad boys, oh, uh, sure. the rock. <laughs> yeah. Listen, there's, there's some amazing action movies and, and yeah, kind of finding out like when they're old enough to watch something, what's, you know, what crosses a line or not. I know we, we just recently showed them, uh, we've been going through Stranger Things with them, which is obviously yeah. a little more modern, but you know, we were teetering on whether or not they were old enough for that. Yeah. But, oh, goopy monsters and horror stuff. I loved it. And then do you find yourself wondering like, okay, well they like Stranger Things and that whole show is just constantly referencing <laughs> stuff from the eighties. Right. So now I, now I'll use this as a transition, yes. to, you know, just as I'm sure having now watched Batman Returns, you're like, you're going to love the cabinet of Dr. Caligari uh, and other German expressionist films from the twenties. I'm sure you, you immediately. 100%. That's exactly where it went. Cause I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's the film nerd in me that um, I, I remember. So th- that Tim Burton aesthetic, which is still there a little bit, but not nearly as much as it was like, in those Batman movies and Edward Scissorhands and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember, yeah, I saw Batman Returns in the theater. I was 10 and I was just like, and I liked it because at the time I liked everything, but I also was just like, this is weird. I feel bad. <laughs> this movie makes me feel bad. Like it's, it's got that visual aesthetic. And years later when I went to film school and I discovered like German films of the 1920s, like there it is. Now I get it. Now I get what Tim Burton's entire aesthetic is based on. And it's just it's, fascinating. It's even weirder rewatching it as an adult with children in the room. It is uncomfortable at times how, like how horny the penguin is yeah. and, just, and how horny Tim Burton is. It's just like, settle <laughs> down, dude. We all want to see Michelle Pfeiffer in this outfit, but you know, chill out. <laughs> but you know, it's there, there's a lot of fun in there and I, you know, the, the biggest thing having kids and, and me being a critic is like, I don't want to turn them cynical too fast. And already some of that's rubbing off on them. Like you can hear them like having conversations about things and like just talking about the bad aspects. And so I'm, I'm very, I try to balance them out. Like, don't, don't be too cynical too fast. Well, I did. You know, cynicism I, you know, is like an adult thing. It is. And certainly when I was younger, I, I it's something that I, granted, I didn't have to work really hard to affect it. It was there, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I definitely played that up. And as time goes on, like, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm still able to really just enjoy, uh, just sit back and enjoy a movie and, and let it happen to me if I enjoy it. And then of course there are movies that are so bad that I'm like, I'm, this makes me angry. I'm angry now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that on, you know, best of the worst, you guys talk about, you watch and you talk about these movies that are, Going in, you know that they're bad. Uh, That's the premise but, of the show, absolutely. Yeah, but you are—you uh, seem genuinely able to find, maybe not the good, but the pleasure in watching uh, a bad movie. And so, what? How are you able to to do that? Like, I've I've had like the bad movie <laughs> nights with friends, and I enjoy them up to a point. But after a while, I'm like, this is this is exhausting me. 
because like I can enjoy the incompetence, but this, it is astonishing because movies are hard to make. The, the, uh, the amount of people that had to be good with the film that was, that was done is astonishing to me. And you're just like, how, how did so many people get this wrong? We, and this is something I feel like we don't do a good job getting across to people. We love movies so much. We love movies so much that we will spend 11, 12 hours of our time watching them and discussing them, even though we know they're bad because we enjoy the art form of movies so Mm. much that we subject ourselves to the worst of the worst just to just to see what makes it tick like i'm i'm trying to think of a of a of an example here like 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 for example if if going back to sports which i know neither of us are really sports people but right. if you're a sports person and your team loses right Mm-hmm. you will then watch the gameplay footage to try to figure out why the team lost. Like, Oh, yeah. we did this here. We did this. only. And part of that is because you love the game so much. And for us, we are just so enamored by film that we love it even at its worst. Yeah. It's an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> I disagree. I think, I think <laughs> it, it would be easy for somebody to watch something like best of the worst and simply say like, Oh man, these guys are just really hard on things. But I, but I do also see a, a, a genuine joy and not a joy of superiority, like a joy of like, Hey, I get it, man. I I've, you know, we've, we all made <laughs> movies uh, that uh, or wrote scripts or whatever that we look back mm-hmm. on and we're like, Oh boy, that uh, could have been better. Um, yeah. And, uh, and the process can just be so much, so much fun that you're able to appreciate even the movies that in many ways are just failures. Um, mm. Are there any movies that are just so, either so bad or they're just so cynically made or whatever by the studio that you find yourself, you just cannot find any good in it? Uh, fa- famously, there, there's one completely filmed and edited episode of best of the worst that will never be shown because it turns out we didn't have anything to say out of any of the three movies. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's the only episode uh, that is ready to go that will never be you know published because it, we didn't do a very good job. And this was a few years ago at this point. Um, and I'm, I, I don't remember the exact movies and I, I probably couldn't say them if, or I shouldn't say them if I didn't, you know, keep it a mystery. I remember one of them specifically was a comedy and we didn't know it was going to be a comedy and bad comedy is, is so bad that it's really hard even to joke about it. Yeah. Uh, one of, uh, one of what I think is the more brilliant of the Plinkett reviews is uh, Mike's dissection of the 2016 Ghostbusters film because he actually found a way to dissect why the comedy wasn't funny, which is an incredibly difficult thing by itself. Yeah. But so, and, and there are movies, and you know, we've said this on, on episodes of Best of the Worst, where you can see the cynicism oozing out and you can yeah. see the, the people, uh, oh, we need to get a naked lady in here. You make yeah. a na- lady naked. And that kind of stuff is insulting. And that's usually why we destroy movies is because they're insulting to us. Yeah, I think that's a good way of, of, of looking at it. I do, I myself also try to find the good. And sometimes the good is like, 
there's a good performance in here. Robert Duvall, my favorite actor, shows up in a lot of not great movies, but he's always a delightful <laughs> highlight. The Sixth Day is not that good of a movie, but he's really good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone, but yeah, uh, invariably my, fa- my least favorite movies of the year are, are not the, the, the smaller budget movies that's like, ah, they tried, but it didn't work out so well. It's almost always like some studio calculation where it's just like, you were just counting on me seeing it and son of a bitch, I did. Now I'm angry at you <laughs> for counting on my own complacency as, mm-hmm. a, as a viewer. Like Alien Covenant, as much as I do like Michael Fassbender in it, in both performances, man, I hate that movie. I hate it so much. <laughs> but, uh, but, that's, but it might be in direct proportion to how much I adore the first Alien. And so it's like, how mm. dare you? Same director doing this thing. It's but, tough. That n- nostalgia is a heck of a drug and it, you, you never yeah. know how it's going to affect you. Yeah. And uh, especially with, with directors, I mean, it sounds so crazy, especially like teaching film history and that sort of thing and talking about somebody like a Steven Spielberg who is just mm-hmm. like, yeah, he helped, he helped define what movies are in the United States and probably worldwide. And yet I don't remember... I don't remember the, what's the last movie he made. Not that he doesn't make them. It's that I don't remember them. I can't probably immediately. Ready, Ready Player One was probably his most recent. Is that the most recent? Okay. And yeah. Before that, he made War Horse, right? He made War Horse. He made Bridge of Spies, which I thought was oh, fine, yeah. but just like That's very, fine. very minor in a lot of ways. And so it's just fascinating to see somebody like him who has certainly found his place in film history, but mm-hmm. you also are just like, yeah, he's, he's not what he used to be. Well, you know, he's him, Spielberg, really his generation of filmmakers is a, is a really, should be a really interesting study as soon as they're all dead. You can't study them yet because they're alive. But once they're all dead, we can start studying them because they were, they were the rebels like Mm -hmm. uh, Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola, like started their careers, uh, Scorsese Mm -hmm. started their careers as like the outsiders. Oh, we're going to shake this town up. And they did. They redefined, they defined blockbusters, right? Blockbusters didn't exist before them. Yeah. They, they shaped the art world. They shaped the big production world. They, they shaped the movies that you and I grew up with. And now that they're older, they're part of the establishment and how they're acting now is very different than how they're acting then, but they're also different yeah. people. Cause you know, you get older, you're different people, but it's very, it's very, very interesting. Spielberg taking the guns out of ET, right? Like, what's that yeah. all about? It's craziness. Lucas just making a movie anymore. Stop it. And come on, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's really fascinating how a person can change throughout the years. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, it's such a cliche, but one of my favorite movies is Citizen Kane, and that's what it's about. It's about this young guy, this firebrand who who wants to fight the establishment and then becomes the essence of the establishment. And there is an inherent tragedy in that. Beautiful. Um, But uh, so I also wanted to talk, uh, so are there any, I mean, I'm I'm sure, of course there are. uh, Are there any movies that you yourself that are terrible in many ways, but you love and you haven't talked about it on the show yet. Ooh, uh, I also don't terrible. want to spoil further episodes of, of the show or anything, but you know. Well, you know, the, the only spoiler is we don't have anything in the can and we can't get together because yeah. uh, it is currently the global pandemic and we, mm-hmm. we don't want to 
gather in a group of even four of us yeah. uh, without proper protect protection. So uh, we have nothing in the can. Is there a movie so terrible that I love? I mean, there are terrible movies that I love. Uh, we've talked about a lot of them, mm -hmm. but I don't know. You know, there like there's a few movies that I really enjoy that I know are generally seen as bad movies. Uh, for example, the Speed Racer movie, the Wachowski's Speed Racer movie. I think that's a great movie, and I don't understand why people don't like it. The cars do kung fu. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Like, oh, you know, we recently just watched uh, rewatched Stargate. Uh, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I liked it then. I assume it holds up, right? It's way weirder than you think. And then, <laughs> and then like, I'm watching this. I'm like, this is kind of crazy. And I, like, I had completely forgotten that that's a Roland Emmerich movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the movie that got him Independence Day. And you know what? I genuinely like Independence Day, even though I know many in the film community don't. I stand by it. I think it's a great thing. But I like schlock. I like that kind of yeah. big action schlock. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I super adore that is like a bad, bad movie. I don't, you know, that's a tough question because, you know, and also, I, I just, I've seen so many. And I also don't, uh, I specifically did not use the phrase guilty pleasure because I don't necessarily like the idea of it. I like the, the like, yeah. especially if, if you're able to verbalize it the way, the way you are or, or I am. Um, there are movies that people say like, this is really bad. And you're like, ah, I, I liked it. And granted, it, it almost always comes with that shrug. But at the same time, <laughs> but, but at the same time, like if press, I can talk about what I like about it. Right. I might be completely alone in it. Um, yeah. You know, I didn't love I think, the, I didn't love the Cats movie, but I, mine is one of the few like fresh reviews on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. I can't wait. I haven't seen it yet. I'm really excited to see it. You know, it's it's one of those things where like guilty pleasures come with this idea of like a, a thing that I a, a thing that I've grown to hate that I see a lot on the internet is people talking about cringe and what is cringe worthy. Yeah. And I think people say guilty pleasure almost as like a bulletproof vest against like being cringy. And yeah. to me, cringy is just like being honest and like being open. And so like saying like, oh, this movie. Stargate, which is probably not a great movie, but as I think it's great. Mm -hmm. Like I love so much of that movie. It's big and it's weird sci-fi. It's ancient Egypt and spaceships. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, and so like, that's just me being open. And so like, you want to say guilty pleasure to protect yourself from criticism, but yeah, it's, it's like what you like. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, incidentally, I do. You mentioned the ancient Egypt thing, and I'm I'm now just flashing back to when I saw it at a young age, and I remember there came a moment. I this is undoubtedly not how I phrased it, but I remember thinking like, why are we focused on this Egypt thing? Like, what what is it about? Like, we're going through a Stargate to like a whole other planet or, or dimension, and mm. yet it's just like ancient Egypt. Why is why did we because decide? Why did we end on that? Because the aliens were the ones that built the pyramids. They came Got here it. to enslave Egyptians. That's like how you get the weird stuff in Egypt because it's actually it. aliens. It's so weird. Okay, it's I so see. Cool. It's so cool. And James Spader <laughs> and sure. uh, Kurt Russell. Ah, oh, so yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. And French uh, Stewart. French Stewart is in Stargate. I can picture him in the trailer now that I think about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a nebbishy James Spader, which is not a thing you hear about very often 
Yeah, yeah. You know, he's not a, 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 a slimy perv the whole time as he's just so good at playing. Oh, he's so good at that now. Well, this was still like him coming off of like being a, being like a teen heartthrob in John Hughes right. movies, right? And so like he was trying out a new thing and then it, it took like secretary and crash for him to find his like sexy perverted side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, and I, I've seen interviews with him and he just seems like actually a really nice guy. He just, the way he carries himself. Did you ever see Wolf with Jack Nicholson? No, no, it's, I didn't it's see a, a Mike Nichols movie. Um, but then so is Day of the Dolphin, which I just recently watched for the first time. But anyway, um, and uh, it's in it, uh, they, it is a werewolf situation, but they, it's not a full transformation. So there's this moment where Jack Nicholson is a werewolf and then his, his, like, his uh, corporate enemy, his corporate rival played by James Spader, he also becomes a werewolf. And then it's just like, man, as if James Spader couldn't be, like somehow him in that, werewolf makeup not that there's a lot of it it's just like oh they've they've managed to really capitalize on everything that makes him <laughs> creepy and, and terrifying but uh, it's not a bad movie actually i'd, I'd recommend it um oh, cool. so i did want to talk a little bit um about video games as well um because you and rich evans uh reviewed uh, video games for a while and even mm. though my my console experience stopped at the Super Nintendo, which I have in my living room. Doesn't always work, by the way. Um, uh, and I, I did admittedly play a lot of computer games, like PC games uh, mm -hmm. in the 90s. But like I, I shifted over to movies a long time ago. But, uh, but I did still watch your reviews and I really appreciated them, just as I have watched friends play video games and I appreciate that. Um, you know, and this is probably about 10 years old. There was, there was an argument or a debate going on about whether video games were art. And, right, which is the silliest debate ever, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I do think that for the most part that has gone away, especially as like technology has really like amped it up. But, uh, mm. but yeah, what to you, it's such a broad question, I'm sorry, but like what, what to you, uh, it, what is the appeal of, of video games and what do you look for in a video game? Oh, that's a, that's a, that is, that's a broad and deep question. You know, I, to touch briefly on the whole video games is art thing. I think like anytime a, a new medium comes about, there's going to be people who dismiss it. And I, I'm yeah. sure when, when movies were about, you know, like even the silent movies, when they were just like newsreels or like the show and the train going by, people were like yeah. this, oh, this is fun to look at, but this isn't art. Art is painting yeah. in a museum. And we go through that all the time. For me, I'm a I'm a gameplay person. I I don't uh, like narratives a lot of times in my games. I'm okay with like the story being like an accessory to the gameplay, but I am there for pure gameplay. And so, mm -hmm. for me, the best games are the games that tell you very little but tell the story only through the world and the gameplay. Uh, this is going to be beating a very dead horse, but uh, Dark Souls the game is a game that encapsulates the entire tone and theme just in the core gameplay loop alone of battling these ever returning dead monsters is just you are unable to defeat death <laughs> and it's this very like dour dark game about the inevitability 
of your own demise. And like the, it's constantly repeated through the story, through the characters, through the gameplay itself. And it's just beautiful. And just the world, mm. the setting, you're in a dying world that is constantly being reborn and you're asked to make it reborn once again. And oh, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite games uh, of forever, even though I only played it very recently. And, and so like there, there is this thing in video games where if, if you read a book, if you watch a movie, you are passively watching a story and they're mm. fantastic. And, you know, if you watch a movie, you're passively, you're, you're watching a story. And if you're reading a book, you're, you're jumping inside of a character and you get to experience that character's thoughts and feelings and all the things they notice. But in a video game, you are a participant in a story. Yeah. And I, I think that can make it an incredibly powerful storytelling tool. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, uh, <laughs> there is one video game that I play now and I do it purely for relaxation reasons. And that's Stardew Valley, which I found out about as a function of your, of, of your show. <laughs> uh, but then there, a couple of years ago, I, I also played uh, Firewatch which is definitely a character and story based game. But one thing that I came to really understand is that like, yes, this could be a very good movie, but the movie is going to be two hours, two and a half at most. And, and nobody's going to go for a two hour, two and a half hour firewatch movie. But at the same time, so it's like, it could be that. Whereas the game is so immersive and like, yes, it is limited like you don't have that much agency, but you do have the freedom to walk around and just experience the loneliness that this character is experiencing for a long, a very long stretch of time. <laughs> and it's the right. kind of thing that like, yes, officially it could be a movie, but the movie wouldn't be able to capture that tone quite like a video game would. And I remember being like, this yeah. is really amazing. And that that is what, video games can bring to the conversation absolutely absolutely just just the expectations and and slowly in fire firewatch is a, is a great example because i know that's very divisive a lot of people call it a walking simulator it kind of is and you know it's very narr narrative heavy yeah uh, so typically that is not a game i would enjoy but i really did enjoy firewatch because of exactly what you said you go these long stretches you can go an hour you you have to do a little fiddling you have to turn the in-game music off that yeah. really helps and you have to turn off your uh, your map reticle which you can do right and if if you do that thing you you go an hour without hearing another person talk and without like listening to canned music and you just hear nature. And at first it's very lovely. It's a beautiful world, but like you said, it gets very lonely. And then on your walkie talkie, your little friend calls you up and you, Oh, Oh, my friend. And you get into that character's head and you, you participate in the story. It's, it's different. It w that would make a very boring movie. <laughs> and, you know, and I think I would, I think I would enjoy the movie because I tend to like really meditative movies like that, you know, bring, bring in Gus Van Sant in full last days mode <laughs> to make, uh, to make Firewatch and, and yeah. I'm there. But at the same time, it would be a different animal uh, and it wouldn't be as effective in creating the tone that it is trying to create. Um, yeah. One thing that, that I see online all the time and it's getting to the point where I'm 
almost going to chime in. Like in comment sections, I'm like, uh, I don't like being in this position where I'm about to do this. <laughs> but uh, whenever people say like, oh, the book is better than the movie. And of course, we've all read books that have become movies and almost invariably we might think that the book is is better or more effective or whatever but it's like it's a completely different art form they're doing different things you it know is the I, I suppose like the the only part of that and, and you know there have been movies that have been better than their book oh sure um a fight club comes to mind i i you know i like the book i like chuck Palahniuk as an author um but I, I also think the movie does a better job at telling that story. The, the problem I feel is in filmmakers not utilizing their power of adaptation. Yeah. And so many filmmakers, actually, I was just talking uh, about this t today. This very same thing is, uh, is, um, Oh Lord, what's his name? The TV show. Good omens is uh, Terry oh. Pratchett. Oh, okay. Yeah. Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman wrote, wrote uh, Good Omens and Amazon just adapted it into a series. And Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman have a wonderful wit about their writing, but a lot of their wit comes in just world building and side notes in a character's thoughts. And you can't necessarily translate that well into an audio visual format. Mm -hmm. And so usually what they end up doing is giving uh, Terry Pratchett adaptation a narrator. Mm. And movies don't work great with narrators most of the time, yeah. obviously. Some of the times they do. But so I feel like l the reason why most people say the book is better is because it's a lazy adaptation. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. And, and I do think sometimes, like I've read the book LA Confidential and I saw the movie and they're not that close from a storytelling standpoint. And I think uh, Curtis Hansen and Brian Helgeland looked at that book and they're like, this is dense. This is too dense for two and a half hours. So we're going to really boil it down as much as we can and do our own thing with it. And I know that some people will be like, well, it's like, well, no, it needs to, it needs to be like as faithful as possible. It's like, well, that's not true either. You know? <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's a different medium. Yeah. <laughs> One of my, I mean, maybe my favorite show of the last 10 years is Hannibal. And I feel like there's like, there's a, a situation where yes, you have these books, but it, how do you adapt that in a larger in a larger definition of the word into a three season TV show? And uh, the the choice was okay. We're going to go with the mood and the characters, and that's about it. Uh, and the, an occasional line will show up, and you'll be like, "Hey, I, I recognize that." And then that's yeah. the end of it. Um, yeah, it's it is really interesting, and and I. If it weren't if it weren't so expensive, I think I probably would have gotten into video games. But eh, I I cast my lot with with movies a long time ago. But uh, That's but it is something an expensive hobby, yeah, yeah. And uh, but it is something that as I've as I've looked at specifically your reviews, I've like I've really thought like this is this is something very special, and the interactivity of it, hmm. and just the immersiveness of it is what makes it so special. Well, and you know, even even with something as simple as Stardew Valley, which is a, a beautiful game, there is, you know, a Stardew Valley for anyone who doesn't know is a farming simulator. Basically, mm -hmm. you 
you you you get dumped onto this plot of land that is full of fallen down trees and rocks and eventually through the through the months of toil toiling every day you turn it into exactly the kind of farm you want yeah and and that is a very simple premise for a game, but there is like this accomplishment that comes at the end of a play session of Stardew Valley, where you just get to look over the splendor that you have toiled over. It's so beautiful. It really is. And, and there is a surprising amount of, of player agency. Like to me, part of the fun is getting to know the, the characters in the town. And granted, there's only so much you can get to know them. But at the same time, every once in a while, there's like a cutscene out of nowhere because you've gotten close enough with this person that they're mm-hmm. revealing something to you. And what's more is there are people in the town that I've never seen a cutscene for because they don't interest me. Uh, <laughs> so, so just like real life, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not investing in them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you know, that's like, that's the other beautiful part about a video game is two people can play the same game and have wildly, vastly different experiences because it's all up to player choice. And, and we kind of, we, we subconsciously make our own stories. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful medium. I was curious uh, to go back a little bit to talking about Firewatch and what we've been ta- what we were talking about as far as like the, the value of it. Um, another game that is that you guys reviewed uh, negatively was Alien Isolation, which is a game I haven't right. played. And definitely from a visual standpoint, it looks like it's, it's, uh, being true to it's the the original mm-hmm. alien uh although i always found it funny that someone's like it's like oh wouldn't you love to step onto the nostromo it's like no i mean i love alien but good god no if there's an alien there no <laughs> <laughs> even if there's not i don't get the impression that the crew of the nostromo is super happy um <laughs> well honestly i actually now that you say that, if you think about that, like the Nostromo was a working ship. Like that'd be like yeah. saying like, don't you want to set foot in a semi truck? It's like, <laughs> not really. Does it smell bad? It probably smells bad. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe for a minute. You know what? Right? I, like, want, I want an alien game where you are piloting a ship, no alien shows up, and it, and, but, you didn't t- but they don't tell anybody that. That it literally right. is just, and you're like, how long am I going to have to fly these damn missions picking up it's, uh, mineral ore before an alien like a shows space up? space trucker, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Alien Isolation, was that was an early previously recorded review. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what's, for some reason, Rich and I both came across very negatively on that game. Neither of us liked it very much, but the general consensus among gamers is that Alien Isolation is a fantastic game. Yeah. Uh, and uh, our my my personal I can only speak for me my personal issue with it was I was not scared, hmm. and maybe this is just me I don't find horror games scary. I cannot get into them. All I can see is the ones and zeros. All I can hmm. see is the mechanics, and a lot of people can. And I mean I like scary movies. I I love horror movies, and I get into horror movies. I get physically scared when i watch a horror movie but when i'm playing a game all i can see is the mechanics and so you know like uh, the way a horror game generally works is you're you're a very powerless character and instead of fighting the alien you have to hide from it wait for it to pass and then find your moment to sneak away and you do that like 50 times in the game the alien becomes less of a threat because you go oh i just hide under the desk the alien went away all right i'll go oh the alien's come back i'll go into a locker 
It's kind of like the way uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle only used Moriarty like twice because after a certain <laughs> point, if you were to bring him back over and over, he le- he's less of a threat because he's just, he keeps getting defeated. <laughs> <laughs> because, right? Oh, well, he must not be the greatest villain mastermind ever yeah. because Holmes keeps beating him, right? Um, and so, yeah, for me, it didn't land. Uh, I know a lot of people really like that game. A lot of people like the stealth horror genre in general. And that's just mm-hmm. not my thing for some reason. I don't, I don't know. It is all, it is interesting to me, whether it be movies or whatever, uh, or video games or books that just for whatever reason, everybody is on board with this thing. And you're sitting there, it's like, I'm, I, I'm seeing right through it. And it's not, it's not that I'm better than these people, just for whatever reason, something's not clicking yep. and I'm not buying this at all. Well, and you know, that's happened to me with other games before that I have then turned around and fell in love with hmm. where, you know, like I, I play a game, um, an example that, uh, uh, that comes to mind is the Witcher three, which hmm. is a video game, uh, that many people love. And, you know, there's a new Netflix show, but that's based off of the books. Uh, which I didn't enjoy, but that's a whole nother thing. Uh, And uh, I started playing that and I felt kind of so-so about it. Like, eh, it's a fine action game, not super into it. And um, months later, went back and gave it another try. Started from scratch and really like sat down. I was like, wait a minute, I keep hearing amazing things about this game. Why didn't I like it? And I went back and I sat down and it's, uh, I found it. I found the thing that people find. And with Alien, I mean, I played with Alien Isolation, I played through the whole thing and I didn't find that thing that people found. Hmm. And I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's very easy to be labeled a, uh, a hater. It's something that I, mm-hmm. that I am just like, I roll my eyes at, but yeah, every once in a while, hey, I may have given uh, one of the handful of positive reviews to cats, but uh, <laughs> I, I, was, I also gave one of the few like negative reviews to Toy Story 4, and that did not go great for me on Twitter um, <laughs> because people just cannot conceive of like, everybody else loves this. You must only be doing it for the clicks or whatever it is. What's, ro- what's wrong with you, first of all, Toy Story 4 was great. I don't know what you're talking about. I think it was a great movie. <laughs> it didn't just, it's, I feel like it didn't justify its own existence. I feel like 3 is so good and it ends so well. Yeah. And then 4, they do some good stuff with Woody, but I feel like they totally, I feel like the series stopped caring about Buzz as a character. So I feel like they didn't do anything with him really. Um, right. Because Toy Story 4 was Woody's story. That like, I know, but it's... But then they still tried to have the moment, like the friendship moment there at the end. And I was like, ah, and, but I guess that's the thing is it's Woody's story, but we still see these, these other characters and Buzz who has shown himself to be a, a deeper character capable of growth, but he keeps mm-hmm. doing this thing where it's like, oh, listen to your heart. And he keeps pushing the button and the, like the pre-recorded toy things come out. It's a funny bit. Yeah. The, the movie is, is very good in some ways, but I, I didn't, uh, it just, you know what it is? It didn't. It didn't have that thing, that thing that clicked. Like everybody else, <laughs> like I went to see a critic screening of it and I overheard yeah. what other people say. They loved it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I went to see it with my wife and both of us were like, I didn't, I didn't work for it. Like <laughs> I laughed, I laughed several times, but for some yeah, reason yeah. it's just like, because it, and because it had, I felt unsatisfied. I was like, mm. I don't, I think I'm going to have to rate it a, rate it a rotten instead of a fresh. Not that I like those. I don't like that black or white thing anyway, but, uh, but right, yeah. Right. 
Interesting. So. Yeah, just didn't do it for you. And that, like, that's fair. That, you know, that it's, it's surprising to me because, yeah, toy, the Toy Story series in general is usually uh, beloved by everyone. But that's, we, we, have to, we have to try very hard those of us who are cynical and are critics, we have to try yeah. very hard to remember that movies are art and art is subjective and we're yeah. all coming at it from our own perspective and that's okay. Yeah, I'm sure you would not, anybody that like, for, for whom alien isolation really worked, you wouldn't take that away from them and say, and say well, clearly you're just dumb. That must be it. You know, no one would say that. You know, I might have said that at one point. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, sure of course. I'm sure there's, there's something that I've said that about. Yeah. yeah, well, we may be we may be doing this critic thing, but at the same time, we got a we've got personas to think of, and you know, people don't uh, people don't click on nuance. Um, it's true. It's but, true. Uh, anyway, you know what? They um, do click on nuance. They never pick up on nuance. Uh, that, um, uh, boy. Speaking yeah. of like uh, like there was a there was a previously recorded that Rich and I did on Metal Gear Solid Five, mm -hmm. and uh, Metal Gear Solid Five is a very controversial game in the video game world because um, the director Hideo Kojima is an arty farty flippant fuck, <laughs> and he's a weirdo, and everyone knows he's a weirdo, and, and but he's a brilliant game designer, and so Rich and I went on and on gushing about how great the game of Metal Gear Solid 5 is, but how terrible the story was. And then, you know, we get done, and we do, the story's dumb, the characters are dumb, everything's dumb except for the gameplay, which is brilliant. It's like this, this stealth base infiltration game, and they give you the whole base, and they give you the freedom. You, you want to come in guns running, you go in guns running. You want to sneak in, sneak in. You want to snipe everyone from afar, you do however you want to do it. Brilliant. And at the end of the episode, we both said we both recommend this game because it's so good. Um, and after that, everyone said, why do you hate Metal Gear Solid 5 so much? <laughs> like that was, that was their takeaway from that review. People, people click on nuance, they just don't understand it. And also I think when it comes right down to it, it's usually a lot easier for me to write a negative review than a positive one. Because if something is positive, I feel like it, there's, a, there's an almost intangible quality that's hard to put into words. When, something, when I don't like something, I know the words uh, <laughs> that I'm going to write. Um, yeah. And so in that, yeah, like when I, like, cause I, cause I watch that review and, mm -hmm. and you know, when you, when you rag on something, it tends to be more entertaining and more memorable than That's if, true. and when I say you, I mean everyone. Um, <laughs> whereas like being positive, I do think that there, there are people who go on the internet because they're not interested in like a, in a, new, in a nuanced, engaging uh, review. They want to mm -hmm. hear somebody bag on something. And even if you do half of one and half of the other, they'll remember the half where that, that was negative. That's a, people are a, terrible. Uh, there's well, people that cynicism are terrible. we're talking about. But no, there's also there's this is a this is like a a, a definable psychological effect where negative negative thoughts and expressions stick to us more as like an evolutionary evolutionary tick where because like we're honed to figure out what's negative and avoid it because of our monkey ancestors or whatever like negative thoughts stick with us more i forget what this this is a real thing 
And so like, you know, when someone is uh, praising you for something you do, you end up brushing it off. But if someone is negative about something you do, it sticks with you for longer. Yes, it's, this is something I've spoken with my therapist about at length, uh, <laughs> that at this point, I, yeah. if somebody says something nice, I assume they're lying. If they say something mean, it's like, well, what, were you, what reason would they have to lie about something mean? They must be telling the truth. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and it's the same. I mean, I'm sure... Uh, you, I'm sure you've gotten comments from from viewers, uh, both because of how because of what you say and maybe how you say it. Obviously, the vast majority of them are positive, but I'm sure you've gotten some negative ones as well. And it's the same with me. Like years ago, and maybe you've experienced this. This was like ten years ago. Someone once said Tyler has no idea how to ask a question, and I was like. I don't know what that means, but that's staying for a long time. And <laughs> ten years in later, back, in the back, yeah. Ten years later, I'm talking to you, and in my mind, it's like Tyler. You haven't, asked a, you haven't asked a question in a while. It's because you don't know how to ask a question. You better, you better shut the fuck up and let Jack talk for two seconds. Almost because like we're having a conversation, and you don't need to ask a question because it's natural. Oh right, no, and there, there's very similar things with me um, that have just stuck in the back of my head, and I, I can see them right now very specifically that eat away at me. I will not say what they are because that okay. will give the whoever sure. said it power. But like, oh yeah, there's, there is stuff that eats, eats away at me. But then there's also weird things where it's like a positive or negative stuff said negatively that ended up having a positive effect. I know like when uh, people don't like new things and uh, the red letter media community in general some sometimes they're just the worst. Um, there's some <laughs> very lovely people. We have some very lovely and generous fans. But um, uh, I particularly, uh, when I started appearing on uh, Best of the Worst, I, I had a particularly vicious nickname um, because because uh, I I am very thin and I'm bald and I have glasses, and so they they decided to call me uh, AIDS Moby. That was their big nickname. Uh, what they didn't know, though, like they were doing that to make fun of me, but what they didn't know is I had just got uh, at the end of a, of a big weight loss cycle. I was actually working really hard. I lost like 60 pounds mm. uh, and I was feeling really good about myself. And so all like they were saying that to be mean. And I read that and I go, oh, they think I'm skinny. That's so nice. <laughs> like I worked really hard to be skinny and they noticed that's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost like. It's like, wow, I clearly made a difference. If they're making fun, oh, wow. like I myself, like if somebody made fun of me for being thin, that mm. would be like a, the crowning achievement of my life. You think I'm thin? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but, that just uh, plays to my vanity. I love it. <laughs> well, that's the thing is if, you know, if you work hard for it, you want to know that someone hurt, uh, someone paid, is paying attention exactly. one way or another. They noticed, they noticed. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been uh, tremendous fun. Jack, thank you so much for, for being here. Um, we've mentioned it many times already, but where can people find you and your work online? I'm, I'm online just all the time now. So uh, main place I'm at is Twitter. So follow me uh, at Twitter at Harlack, H-A-R-L-A-C-K. That's where I usually hang out. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about movies, you go to redlettermedia.com, where I'm usually on Best of the Worst. But if you're watching this in 2020, you might not see an episode for a little bit because yeah. we're under a global pandemic. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about video games, you go head over to escapistmagazine.com. I have a few shows over there. I do a slightly civil war with Yahtzee Croshaw, where we have a 
a satirical debate about a video game topic. And then there's a little mm-hmm. podcast afterwards where we actually discuss how we really feel about it. And on, uh, I also have The Escapist Show where me and the editor-in-chief of The Escapist Magazine uh, just talk about whatever we feel like. I live stream with The Escapist. I'm, I'm just, I'm there all the time. So <laughs> just... Uh, right. Video games, Escapist Magazine, movies, Red Letter Media, Twitter, Harlack, all the things. These are all the things. I'm on the internet. You can't throw a rock online without hitting Jack Packard. This week in particular, it's every single day. I'm doing something every day. We're here. We're just, we're making it happen. Hold on. Here we go. Here's how we just. <laughs> That's my little sound machine. <laughs> you have that. At the ready. I guess you have to if it's a sound machine. But uh, anyway, well, this was, uh, that's a wonderful way to end it. But uh, yeah, listeners, thank you, uh, as always, for for listening. Uh, Check out the main show. Uh, We have sort of our makeshift summer movie preview where it's just a lot of wishful thinking and uh, tracking Blu-ray releases. So, uh, Hey, hey, New Mutants. New Mutants is coming out finally. That's exciting. I am. I... Aren't you just curious? I'm curious. That's the word for it. Because like what, what is it going to be? We don't know. Because that's the thing. Is like, I know that we're supposed to end. But it, okay, so here's, here's what I'll say. <laughs> is that that's the thing is almost invariably when someone's like, oh, this is a superhero movie, but it's also like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Just like when they, with Ant-Man, they're like, it's like, it's a superhero movie, but it's also like a heist movie. And then with with Captain America, was it Winter Soldier? It's like, it's also kind of like a 70s espionage movie. And then you go see it. It's like, yeah, it's like maybe 5% of that other thing. It's still very much superhero. Well, first of all, Ant-Man, that was a straight up heist movie. That that was a 100% a heisty heist movie. I'm not a big fan of the Ant-Man movies. uh, And as much as I adore Michael Pena uh, and- (laughs) And Paul Rudd. And, uh, <gasps> I like oh, him we're in general. Have words. Paul I like Rudd him in general. Fantastic actor, and I think your cynicism is bringing the show down. <laughs> I can watch him all day in uh, Wet Hot American Summer uh, yes. when he is throwing that that tray around and picking it up, and uh-huh. just like a, a a pouting six year old. I love it. But uh-huh. uh, anyway. But uh, oddly enough, when I think of when I think of Ant Man, I tend to think of the action that I like. You know, the 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 showdown between him and uh, Corey. Oh hell, what's his last name? I can't think of it. The villain, Yellow Jacket. Anyway, yeah. Um, like, uh, boy, that's gonna bother me. I can't think of his last name. But anyway, like, I think of that. That's very creative. But like, when someone's like, oh, you know, it was kind of a heist movie. I remember thinking, oh, oh yeah, I guess it kind of is. Like, it just it didn't uh, it didn't register to me as that. <laughs> It's 100% a heist movie. Like I, the entire movie is them making the plans for the heist and working towards the heist. Oh, but then there's a twist, so they got to think on their heisty feet. It's a, it's a heist movie. And I guess my thing is I don't remember any of the aspects of the heist, as opposed to something like Ocean's Eleven, where obviously sure. I remember all the different plot points. But anyway, all that is to say that, no, I'm very curious about New Mutants. Uh, I saw the trailer for it and be like, oh, I like that they're going a different route with it, but it could just, it could wind up being exactly what I'm talking about, where it's like, they give a little nod to horror, but in right. actuality, it's just going to be like every other superhero movie. Oh, sure. But, but it, probably it's worse. Like, 
it's this weird like uh, it's not you know it's a disney movie maybe not an mcu maybe though but yeah also not but it's a fox but not and like it's it's been bubbling for so long it's a it's a soup that's been churning for so yeah. long we don't know what the flavor is going to be it is it is definitely a movie that i've been curious about uh i can't really partially because i grew, when i was reading comic books growing up like i was very much an x-men universe mm, uh yeah. fan so new yeah, mutants yeah. and x-force and all that sort of thing really interested me um yeah. for example when i saw deadpool 2 uh, as 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 adult as i try to be mm. when juggernaut shows up i, I became a nine-year-old boy again you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good juggernaut, not like it the is. last couple of juggernauts. Yeah. Oh boy, that's true. Um, anyway, okay, enough of that. Sorry about that, uh, listeners. Hope you, <laughs> hopefully, you enjoyed that little postscript. But uh, anyway, Jack, thank you so much for being here. This was uh, a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, listeners, thank you very much. And we'll get you next time. Bye.